0: And we're back. I thought we had a very good... Okay, so...
1: Amanda! Let me get into my work mode. Ignore me! (laughs) Hi everyone, this is Amanda.
0: Hey, this is Ben.
1: And this is Foot in the Hood, Episode 2.
0: Yeah, we're back. Yep. So for those who are not quite familiar with what we're doing... Uh, This is only episode two. You're still early. Uh, This is when Amanda and I discuss food science, graduate school, and uh, some cross-cultural discussions. Basically, this is what our life is. Mm -hmm. Uh, We try to do this every two weeks, two-ish weeks. Yep. So expecting more topics related to some food science news and research, Mm -hmm. graduate school life. And we'll try to bring a cross cultural perspective. So, not necessarily we're going to talk about purely cultural stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, I guess this week we're talking about working in a lab because Ben and I are both graduate students and we both work in a lab. So, before we dive into that, um, we got so... follow
0: ups. <laughs>
1: Follow-ups, yes. So Ben just told me that he's going skydiving tomorrow. Is that right?
0: Yeah, so this is very random, but uh, I guess we don't have a lot of follow-ups since we just have one episode. I guess we can just do some personal life or updates. Mm -hmm. So this week, um, one of of my friends uh, found out this place, which is about 30 minutes away from Kansas State. And it's actually affiliated to Kansas State, this skydiving club, and they offer uh, tandem skydiving.
1: So is tandem skydiving where you skydive with someone else?
0: Yeah, so basically I'm okay. sandwiched with a pro skydiver who oh. actually know what's going on.
1: Oh, that's good. You definitely want that.
0: <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, actually, they have another one, which is called static strip or static rope diving, I think.
1: Oh, that's the one where you don't jump out from a moving aircraft, but it's like a stationary jump, right?
0: No, 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 no. Oh, so okay. that one, they f- fly you up to uh, some certain height and they, they basically dress you up with everything and they have a fixed rope uh-huh uh connect you to the airplane but you, oh, okay. you have jump out of the plane by yourself
1: which is the hardest part but you really?
0: don't have to pull the trigger yeah well I, I mean once you jump out you have to know what to do right <laughs> but this one you don't really have to because there's that rope right so that so that rope will get um tension on it once you drop to a certain height mm-hmm. and that tension will will pull the parachute
1: Oh. So all you have to do
0: is control the direction of your falling. Right,
1: right, right, right. That's still kind of hard to me, like controlling the, direc- the direction of how you fall.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh-huh.
1: like I always wonder how people actually fall from such heights but end up at like a specific place where everyone else is waiting for them. I feel like that's the hardest part, really.
0: Right, right, right. So so that requires maybe a day or a half day training mm. beforehand. Minutes, yeah. But um, that is one of the... Uh, Uh, harder ones but I'm just going for the one that requires nothing
1: okay hope you come back in one piece
0: yeah I know we got hopefully we have an episode three
1: (laughs) so speaking of updates um, since we're talking about graduate school so apparently there's this drug that everyone else has already been using that I haven't caught caffeine (laughs) so I'm I'm the type of person if I drink like coke or like even a soft drink of caffeine in it, I can't go to sleep. But for some reason, this yeah. Tuesday, a co-worker offered me coffee and I took it and I drank it and I felt so awake. And at 8 p.m., I was still <laughs> like, usually I'm dead by 8 p.m., but I was, you know, I was doing work. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to write all my reports.
0: What coffee did you drink?
1: No, it was just regular, regular coffee from like a coffee brewer. It was not anything special.
0: OK, so it's just drip coffee.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like regular drip coffee. And then on Wednesday, Wednesday we had a seminar and they have free coffee for whoever it went. So I was like, oh, why not? And then Thursday, we had a lab meeting where we went out for Mediterranean food. And then we also got Turkish coffee because, you know, like, why not? We're already there. Okay. And then I had that too. So basically, I had coffee three days in a row, which is, like, unheard of. And, like, it it, it gave me...
0: That new universe for you?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) And, like, my hands were shaking because I had so much caffeine, but I was so awake. And on Friday, I didn't have any coffee. And I, I got, like, a raging headache. At around like 1 or 2 p.m and I was like oh my, oh my god. god what is going on this is bad <laughs> so I had to go look for my friend so I could get some instant coffee from her but that's so my addicted. that's my coffee I think I'm addicted I'm gonna wean myself off now
0: <laughs> yeah that's good so uh I actually have a coffee anecdote too
1: yeah
0: be several weeks ago I was reliving the undergraduate life okay. because I was writing a paper and I didn't want to stay in my office. I didn't want to stay in the normal hiding spot that everybody writes stuff. Uh-huh. So I took the route to basically location diving on campus. Uh-huh. So first I started with at home. So I wrote some stuff at home and went out for lunch and then sat in the library. And around three o'clock or so, I uh, had to go to a seminar later that day so around three o'clock i i moved the building to another place there's a coffee shop in that building Mm -hmm. so i order to sit there i need to order something so when i was there i I tried to order some stuff and i thought it's already three o'clock i shouldn't drink coffee anymore Mm -hmm. otherwise i wouldn't be able to sleep i could just get a soda or something but i thought you know this is like a sort of a crafty place i would get something nicer right So I bought an Irish cream, which is like a cream soda. mm
1: -hmm. I love that stuff.
0: Yeah, by the time I got that cream soda in my hand and sat down in front of my computer, I took several sips of it. I thought about it. I said, it's been a really long time for me to buy a craft beverage that is caffeine and alcohol-free.
1: Right. (laughs) Oh, man. Such is gratitude okay you need alcohol and caffeine it's either that or water this
0: is very bad right so so i mean when i go to when i go to grocery shopping i I would buy some you know iced tea or if i go for fast food normally i'll get a small Mm -hmm. size pop drink but for handcraft drink
1: that's rare because first of all that's expensive and we get paid pennies uh, right, <laughs> that's true. Second of all, yeah, like you said, no, that makes sense.
0: Right, 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 because you would, you would like go get a beer on the tap or something that they would actually bring it out for you. Because mm-hmm. typically that would just be like a coffee drink or or some kind of yeah alcohol, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: Should we move on to what labs? Blah blah, yeah. blah 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 blah.
0: Right, right, right. So, I guess we're talking about. Lab work and lab in general. But first, we're gonna talk about what lab is, because I feel like people right. would have different understanding of what a laboratory is.
1: I think the image that people first get is okay. You're wearing a white coat. You're working in a. You're working in a indoor environment. You're pipetting things or you're pouring chemicals, and yeah. oh, it's a lab. It's a CSI lab. <laughs>
0: Pep is like a very very generic scientific image of a lab person
1: right it definitely is
0: and for those who don't know what pipette is
1: <laughs> <laughs> go google it p-i-p-e-t-t-e
0: go google what's the pet pad.
1: <laughs> once you pipette enough sample it's like you don't even need to go to the gym for arm day because that that shit is ooh tiring
0: <laughs> yeah i was stunned by exercise
1: yeah so there is wet lab, right? I think wet lab is like the most traditional type of lab people think of where you you will conduct sample prep, there's chemical reagents, you think of glassware and things like mm-hmm. that. That's like a wet lab,
0: right? Right, right, right. That's what um, general chemistry lab would take place or uh, general biology labs. Mm-hmm. Y- you will have, you, you'll have a lot of liquids. You would have a lot of solutions that you make. That's a wet lab. I guess that's where the name is from.
1: Because it's wet, because there's like solutions.
0: And you spill. <laughs> yeah, <No>. I've <Sometimes. laughs>
1: done that many times. And there's also dry labs, which I guess would could also be called instrument labs. That's where you typically have a lot of machinery. You might have like a GC, LC, things like that.
0: Yep. So those are mm-hmm. labs that typically you bring your samples in without doing too much of the preparation work. And I guess modern days, people tend to separate that sometimes to have a lab that dedicated for instruments. Some of the infrastructure would be uh, a little different for that lab because they might live on a separate power supply, which Mm -hmm. uh, if you would suffer with a power outage or something, that room wouldn't get uh, much of effects. Because those instruments are very sensitive and you don't want all of a sudden just cut the power off.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's also microbiology labs, um, or some people call them food grade labs. or There's a lot of term.
0: Um, Food grade lab is different, though. Is it? Food grade lab is only the food grade level of um, ingredients can be used.
1: Oh, so you can't bring in hazardous material, right? Right,
0: right, right. But micro labs, sometimes a lot of a medical lab, I would say, it's the same. Yeah. You have uh, so so your research subjects are bacteria, viruses, or yeast, uh, which are uh, live organisms that could be infectious and mm-hmm. causing disease to people.
1: Right. So you do need special certification for that. Yeah. And um, there's also computer labs, which in the realm of food science, I guess a lot of people just think of it as the office, but some people also have like a dedicated space for it. And a lot of people in food science who work with maybe epidemiology data or like metabolomics data Mm -hmm. where they do a lot of data crunching and analyses, I guess they will work primarily in a computer lab and, you know, statisticians and programmers who work on data and whatnot.
0: Right. And other one, uh also they use computer lab as their primary lab. And some people actually refer computer lab as a form of dry
1: lab. Oh, okay. Which
0: your instrument is computer. Yeah, right, right. right. Without without actual instrument, you're just doing data processing. Actually what they do the a lot of the do you remember Jason Hill?
1: Who's that? Minnesota?
0: Yeah, Minnesota. He he does life cycle analysis.
1: Jason Hill? Was he a student like a grad student
0: no 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 he's a he's a prof he's a prof in BBE.
1: oh he's a cbe okay i was thinking like i don't remember a jason in food science but yeah that would make sense
0: right but um what he does is life cycle analysis basically tracing the entire energy water consumption of food production the entire lab, it's a computer lab, mm-hmm. basically.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I, got, I guess yep. for us, uh, a lot of people also work a lot in pilot plants. So if you think of a food yep. manufacturing plant, right, you have all these reactors, you have all these giant vats and whatnot. You have a homogenizer, you might have a pasteurizer and whatnot. And then just think of it on a smaller scale that can be used for academic research and you have your pilot lab. I mean, your pilot plant, sorry. Right,
0: right, right.
1: And I guess a lot of people who work with food engineering and scaling up would use that sort of environment. For instance, we have people who are working with um, looking at different substances and chemicals for clean and play systems. So their work would be done a lot in pilot plants.
0: Yep. So pilot plants, I don't know if people still call it a lab because technically it's still an enclosed environment. right. But it's way bigger than a regular lab.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're still experimenting in there. So I always think of it as a lab.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. Uh huh. And the next one we we'll want to talk about briefly just field labs. Uh, these are for people who are maybe doing plant or animal research. So they take labs with them to their samples, which are. For example, apples grow on trees.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or uh... this is
1: Ben speaking from his personal experience of working on an apple farm.
0: <laughs> from From two, from from almost two was years ago. Was that Honeycrisp yeah. apples?
1: That's what Minnesota is famous for, right?
0: It was Honeycrisp. Okay. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I never liked the taste of Honeycrisp. It's really not that sweet, despite what the name suggests.
0: Well, there are good ones, there are bad ones. And I think quality control of Honeycrisp should be, I don't know, it's a difficult challenge to, mm-hmm. to control fruit quality, yeah. <laughs> I guess. But yeah, that's that's the type of lab that where you take your instruments, take your uh, different tools through the field, and that field became mm-hmm. your lab. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's also, I guess that's also similar to research farms. Some people might call it that. But that could also, research farms could also include animals in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For instance, we have a dairy farm, about like a 10-minute walk from our food science building. It's basically, I think we have about 100 cows, animal science, and food science. We work a lot with these animals. We might look at the milk they produce and whatnot. Mm. So it's the, it's a farm, but it's primarily used for academic purposes. Yep. We're not selling the milk or anything. We're just using it for research.
0: You're not selling
1: Maybe we sell... Oh, no. Actually, I do think we sell them.
0: At least to the dorms.
1: Right. But I think with these farms, the primary purpose is for education and extension and outreach and less for profit.
0: Oh, yes. For sure. For sure. They just don't want to waste the...
1: Right. Yeah. You don't want to waste like 100 gallons of milk.
0: Right. 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 Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, these labs are around ourselves. And uh, the most common one is still the traditional chemistry biology lab, the wet and dry or wet and instrument labs. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So what about some practices? Grad students basically live in labs.
1: Right. And when you talk about lab practices, I mean, they're they're so, it it can mean anything. It can be how do you um, share instruments. It can be how do you work with other grad students in Deciding who gets to use what and for how long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was sort of a problem in our lab because we have we have so many people and we have a limited mm-hmm. number of instruments, right?
0: Right. So working in lab doesn't really just mean working with glasswares and chemicals, but it's also working with people. Definitely. Yeah. So. Can I share something about my lab practice? Go ahead. Um, I
1: hear something yes. juicy. Is this like <laughs> gossip from Ben's lab.
0: No, no, not really gossip, but it's just like my personal preference right. for my particularness or is that a word? Yeah, no. I'm, I'm I'm very I'm very particular on uh, analytical balance. Right. So this is this is like a scale. But this scale is very damn accurate. Mm-hmm. It goes to it weighs in grams, but it can go to four decimal points.
1: So, like to one tenth of a milligram.
0: Yes, yes. Some even fancier ones could go even lower than that. But no one trusts the last digit. That that.
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely.
0: Right. So the cleanness of this la- of this balance, uh, or sort of the surrounding of this balance, really matters a lot and this is typically when you start your experiment right right say i want to make a 5% sodium chloride solution nacl basically a salt solution mm-hmm. i need to weigh 5 grams of salt so this is yeah this is like the initial step where i start my experiment so if the balance is wrong or something messes the balance where Instead of making a 5%, I made a 4% because the scale weight, the sol is wrong. It really messed up with everything. Right.
1: And that can really throw off your results. Yeah. From the get-go, you were wrong.
0: (laughs) The scariest part of all my lab skills were just to make sure the analytical balance is clean, calibrate, and the little bubble on the uh, level, it's like
1: right. Yes,
0: yes. It's in the
1: right place, it's within the right circle. <laughs> no, that's so true.
0: In the show note, we'll, we'll put we'll put a picture of an analytical balance in it with the little circle on.
1: Yeah, to so you guys know what we're talking about. <laughs> Basically it's it's like if you have ever done construction or anything like that before, there's something you can buy where there's oil in a cylinder and depending on if the surface is level or is, if it's tilted, the bubble the air bubble and the oil moves mm-hmm. to tell you whether this um you're putting your object on a surface level. Yeah. So I think this is what Ben was talking about.
0: Right, right, right. And especially there's like dirty powders on it or you know, some people didn't clean up and
1: yeah the, that's, annoying. that's very
0: annoying and especially for i'm okay with countertops sometimes be uh you know a bit messy especially when people mm. are working but for analytical balance this is where it all starts
1: yes this is the starting point for everything
0: and you know crazy people or well, not crazy people but i think it's a very good practice they buy like a piece of marble that is really thick and really mm-hmm. flat, and they put the balance on top of the marble as a way to minimize shakiness and make sure that the balance is stay intact the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of yeah. those actually.
1: That's pretty important. Like, honestly, if you're weighing small amounts especially 100 milligram 80 milligram like a few milligrams off you know 10 milligram 20 milligram off can really throw off your results
0: right right right
1: and it's so important to calibrate your scales you don't realize it until you're not getting the right results
0: right 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 and you know my speaking of just weighing stuff or making solutions i would always make a high concentration stock solution and dilute it with water
1: that's a better idea no if you try to dissolve 10 milligrams of sodium chloride in one liter of water like that is not yeah that's that's very difficult but if you do serial dilution yeah i think that would just be a lot better
0: Mm -hmm. so for potentially in the future if there's any undergrad thinking about applying to graduate school and during an interview or something talking to a professor if you just say you know I normally make the loose solutions from concentrated because I don't trust the analytical balance.
1: <laughs> is that what you said, Ben?
0: <laughs> I didn't say that. I I learned it um, while I was in undergraduate labs.
1: Well, that's that's a good tip. Yeah. No, it really is. I guess if we're talking about lab, one thing I find really useful when working in a lab is I'm pronouncing this wrong, <laughs> but it's called I think it's called misomple I don't know how to say it, but it's it's a French word and um, it's spelled M-I-S-E, space, E-N, space, and then P-L-A-C-E. So I think some people say mise en place, mise en place. I'm not sure what the right way to say it is. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's if you have ever worked in a professional kitchen before, before you cook, you prep out all your ingredients, right? You proportion however much of, I don't know, shallots you need or how much meat you need, you cut off, uh, you don't cut, you prep your ingredients, you mince your garlic, you chop your onions, you do everything that's needed, and then you put it in the right place. Mm -hmm. So when you actually cook, you know where everything is, everything is prepared, and the process is a lot faster, and you make less mistakes. So when I work with proteins, I, I, I work with um, hydrolysis of proteins and I have to derivatize them. So this is a long process that can take the hydrolysis takes a day, but the derivatization can take mm-hmm. two to three hours. And there is about.
0: OK, side topic. What, what do you what are you derivatizing for?
1: Well, basically, I'm hydrolysis. I'm, I'm hydro- hydrolyzizing. No, that's not the right word.
0: Hydrolyze.
1: <laughs> hydrolyzing. I can't English. Jesus. <laughs> I'm hydrolyzing proteins into amino acids, right? And I'm going to run them on GCMS. But before I can run these amino acids, I have to derivatize them to make them volatile enough for GCMS.
0: Okay, for Jesus. For GC-
1: so this derivatization process takes about two to three hours. That's more. There's more than 10 steps because I'm using different reagents and whatnot. So, depending on if I set everything up in place or not, it could take almost 1.5 times the amount of time. So that, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're doing it once a week mm-hmm. or you're doing it regularly, it really adds up. And it, yeah. if you can get everything done fast but also accurately, you save so much more time.
0: So you do the maison plot thing.
1: Right. I set out everything.
0: We're just ruining this work so much, bud.
1: <laughs> I, okay, I'm gonna Google. I'm I'm gonna Google the right way to say it right now. <laughs> okay, it's mise en Plus. yeah, Plus. Plus. As like miss and plays no. <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: But, um, another side, side track is I showed this podcast to my sister.
1: Oh, you did. Who
0: actually lives in France?
1: What did she say? <laughs>
0: She lives in France.
1: <laughs> we bitch <budget> her language. <laughs> so
0: she was, So she, she I think she might listen to the second well maybe after the blobber troll she listened to five seconds and asked me what's the P value. Right. And she she tested in uh Chinese said uh P uh. P P <laughs> Cause she didn't know how to spell it, right?
1: Well, oh, because we were saying it p value, p value. She must be like, What's p value? Yeah,
0: yeah, right, right, right. right. Oh,
1: that's
0: hilarious. <laughs> I hope well. I don't think she'll listen to the that kind of, but episode. you should definitely
1: ask her what's the right way to pronounce it. are we doing it like I don't even do. half right? M- Mison, yeah. Mison plus.
0: I actually do. Uh, ask her a lot of French pronunciations because we work with a French company mm-hmm. and I want to get the name right. Uh, th- there's a lady that we uh, regularly communicate to, right. and her, her name is French. So I actually had my sister send me a voice clip of how to correctly pronounce it. Oh, <laughs>
1: going for that extra brownie point, way to impress. Yeah,
0: right, right. right. Uh-huh. That's the usefulness of my sister. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For people who don't know, Ben has an elder sister who have lived in France since how long? Like a, almost half her life, is it?
0: Probably more than half oh, really? her life now.
1: Yeah. Well, you, She's you... old. Oh yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
1: Anyway, so those are those are our little tips on analytical balances and. M- m- plus, m- plus. Okay, no, I- I'm not even going to say the word anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah, but um, I- honestly, I think uh, just very briefly on top of what you said. Right. Given that now I understand what this word means and uh, I can share. Another tip per se or experience is just it doesn't hurt you to label things early. Mm-hmm. You can start a label. If you have a lot of samples and you have to do repetitive work to test um, multiple samples with multiple replications, you might just want to label everything first, even before you get your sample.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great idea. And
0: that saves a lot of time. Yeah, it's not just 8 a.m. You get your package, started to unbox everything, pulling out stuff, weighing them. Well, first you have to label stuff, and that takes a really long time, and then weighing. And when you actually start to do the actual lab work, it's already lunchtime or something. No,
1: that's true. Yeah. Right.
0: And I'm speaking of my own experience. <laughs>
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. I think oh, yeah. like making, so sometimes also in lab, because like you said, you might be waiting for your samples to be ready. They might be in the oven. This is a great time to just like, I like to just like label stuff or have you, do you guys have those pipette boxes? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you're rich, you would buy pipette tips that already come in boxes. But if you're not as not rich, a, not a- <laughs> You will buy pipette tips that come in like a thousand pipette tips in a package and then you have to manually put them into these boxes. So, you know, I have nothing yep. to do or I'm waiting. I just like to prep and put all the pipette tips in into the boxes. So when mm-hmm. it actually comes to doing lab work, I can just get going. So yeah, definitely make use <laughs> of in-between time, I think.
0: Oh, for sure. Yes. All these little things really count.
1: There's a difference between going home at four p m versus seven pm
0: right hey actually this might be this might be the tips that would save your quality dinner time
1: yeah, you want to go out and have dinner with your friends. you want to have a life outside of grad school
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: or try at least that's try. what we do
0: yeah right 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 so this is hopefully this can be part of life our life
1: yeah, no, I agree, yeah. What time do people go home, mostly, from your experience, looking at your lab maids and your friends at Kansas? Like, I wonder if the culture is different between different schools.
0: I think it, it depends. It depends on... So I think, um, especially during the semester, uh, which I'm talking about mm. the typically the fall and the spring semester, some school runs on quarters, they'll have a winter semester. Right. But regardless... During these semesters, work comes in waves. It's you're not constantly burning your ass off just to do all this work, but you're definitely have some really, really busy time where you might have mm-hmm. to go in early and stay late, really have um have have, have to deal with a lot of lab work. Yeah. Uh, but um you know, in general, people tend to. Well, I mean, some people they come in late and they stay late too. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the total working hours for everybody is more or less the same. Right. Unless unless you're trying to defend or something.
1: Oh yeah, and then that's a totally different game.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, I mm-hmm. have friends who are gonna take their candidacy exams while also trying to do their proposal the uh their their thesis proposal and those people i mean they wake up early they go to the library to cram like at seven or eight in the morning then they come to lab and do more stuff it's it's a different game
0: right 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 but uh, but again those come in waves right it doesn't always sit that way yeah and you can you can have some relaxing time maybe after your uh your oral exam or um when you finish your defense you're definitely gonna be very much celebrating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the nature of research and kind of graduate school is like you said, there are some times where you are, you are just super busy. You might work the whole day mm-hmm. and there are times where things are just more relaxed. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess some people might think of it as a nine to five job where you can pretty much go in, get stuff done and come out at the same time. And while that's true for some people, I think for most of the cases that I observe um, around me, I think it can be very variable, right? Because right. depending on if you're TAing, depending on um, if you're taking coursework, things can be really different.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's much. Um, jobs comes in different places, and you're all you're constantly juggling for the best of your interest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, should we move on? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about people. Yes. Yeah. In the labs, we don't norm. We, we, as we said before, we work with instruments. It's typically more or less tedious working with instruments than working with Mm glasswares. But um, working with people makes things a little bit more fun.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Right.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So one of the one of the things is that um, you can't bring your own instrument, right? You have to. You have to use the instrument that's available in your lab.
1: Right. It's kind of like kindergarten. You got to learn how to share.
0: Right, right, right. And what are some. Turns. What are some um, sharing strategies? I know there's sign up sheets where some people have a calendar.
1: What our lab does, and what I think a lot of people do too, is like you said, a calendar. We have a Google Calendar. People book the instrument for when they need to use it. Um, it's pretty straightforward, but that also comes with its own challenges. You know, sometimes someone might book an instrument for the whole week, mm-hmm. like almost every day, nine to five. And then someone else might get angry and be like, hey, I need to use it, too. I have samples coming in and whatnot. So that that's another layer of, you know, complexity yeah. that you guys need to figure out.
0: That's true. So, so a sign up sheet is can keep things organized, but it might not be the best efficient way to use the instrument.
1: So what, what do you think would be a more efficient way?
0: Oh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so good at criticizing, but not good at innovating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm the same. That's, why, that's what we do. We find problems.
0: <laughs> uh, right. So I guess if you have a relatively small, well, first of all, try to be friends with people that you share instrument with. An instrument, at least in our lab, there, there's like a primary maintainer right. of that instrument. It could be a student, it could be a research associate or a postdoc, but someone knows that instrument the best. Mm-hmm. So, and typically, that person would also be the one to coordinate sign-up sheets or update calendars for that instrument.
1: So, you're saying get on their good side. This is a game of politics.
0: Well, it's not a game of politics, but
1: <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I know what you mean. Like you, you don't want to be on bad terms with people you're sharing an instrument with, right?
0: Right, right, right. And maybe like a more socially approach would just be have some kind of a text group. Because if there's no external personnel using that instrument, basically the primary users, the you know, between three or four or five or six people can text the group and draft the timeout, maybe just a day or two ahead. Right. And for, for for those that you absolutely certain days that you have to book the instrument for the entire day, you can do that a week or two ahead, that's no problem. But for getting some preliminary data or just tryouts, right. you can do them really, you can stick in a lot of small slots to get mm-hmm. things done.
1: You're suggesting a dual approach, right? Like uh, you have a calendar for the more planned out. I need to use it for a long time. And then the text group for like, oh, can I try like this thing for like two hours? Yeah, right, hours? right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you know, like every lab has, you know, depending on what people are working on and whatnot, they figure it out, I think, for the most part, how to share their instruments, mm-hmm. how to, you know, that that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. A...
0: Yeah. And, and just be, sometimes be flexible and nice one or two time, I think right say you might have to use it but you can let somebody else use it maybe stay a little later
1: mm-hmm. I, I've definitely done that before I feel like that's good practice because you I mean you're in the same lab you guys are in the same boat together and sometimes someone might just need it a little bit more than you and it you know it, it's full circle it comes around sometimes when you need help someone else will step up too Right, I think that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point because that builds good lab culture, which I feel is very important. Mm-hmm. A lab culture where different members at the lab kind of support each other in that sense, instead of fight over like who gets to use it first. You know, it it, it definitely changes the dynamic a lot.
0: Yeah, especially for people who knows your instrument, right? If you if you have problems you would go talk to these people who share instrument with you. So they really, uh, so if the dynamic is good, you guys can together figure out stuff that's wrong with your samples or with your Mm -hmm. experiments. Mm -hmm. So you're getting extra hands on whatever you're doing and getting extra minds, brain power to think about.
1: Yeah, because honestly, the people who know these instruments best, not just the instrument itself, but the particular model and how to use it, because every every instrument in a different lab works a little bit differently. So they are going to know best. So if you guys can put your minds and heads together and work together Mm -hmm. on fixing that problem, I think that's really the best scenario. Yeah, I've definitely had that happen to me working uh-huh. with GC. Yeah. Even though I worked with it undergrad, you know, I wasn't, I work with it, but I wasn't super familiar with it. And I had two people in our, our lab who had a lot more expertise with it and they were able to show me everything, how to change a column, how to, you know, things like that. So that definitely helps, I think.
0: Right, right, right. And um, should we talk about the instrument itself?
1: Some instrument.
0: Should we talk about... Should I talk about instrument, like please the instrument?
1: How are you going to talk about pleasing the instrument? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? Do you mean calibrated? Like, I, I don't
0: know. No, you, you please you the instrument.
1: Like, how do you please the instrument?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, instruments are very delicate. Basically, you just have to really make friends with the instrument and I don't know, this is a little superstitious, but um, this is just, you have to please the instrument and make the instrument happy.
1: Right, you don't want to piss it off.
0: Right, and it really it can really get you if you piss off the instrument, because the instrument will punish you mm-hmm. by not working, delay your graduation time, not getting a job. So another thing is, this is sort of a trick too, I think when the instrument is working, just get all of your things done.
1: Oh my god, I, I, I am so on board with this a hundred percent. That's my <laughs> sigh of like <laughs> desperation and exasperation. Honestly, when instruments work just do everything because for all you know the next week it could stop working and once you fix it something something might be off and the baseline will be different right and then if you collect more data and you you compare it to data from before and you're like oh something changed but i don't know (laughs) what
0: yeah so that's very you know that's sort of the rule of thumb for me and i actually learned this from um when i was an undergrad in um Running, running HPLC. Right. Uh, there was a postdoc helping me, and she was very experienced with HPLC and all these analytical instruments. She said, if the stuff is working, just stay up late or just don't sleep and run stuff in two days.
1: <laughs> don't sleep. That's great advice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and, but, but that really.
1: I can see where she's coming from. Right. Because... And just do
0: it. Yeah, don't think about it. It's oh, it's fine. Uh, every day, I'll spend two hours doing four samples. And in about two weeks, I'll get all of my samples done.
1: Right. Like I understand why people might want to space it out. It seems more digestible that way. But think about it. Even when you're not running your sample, there is still some work you do before running it and after running it, right? So doing it all in one run versus 10 runs you save a lot of time that way too yeah besides the instrument you know not breaking or changing or something like that you save a lot of time from not having to put all your samples in one place you know and it it just takes a lot of work each time you run something
0: right (laughs) oh well yeah so anything else about lab we can talk lab for forever
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, Ben can talk about it forever because he loves the lab.
0: (laughs) I don't necessarily like lab. (laughs) Uh, I think it's depressing sometimes.
1: I think, I don't know, working in a lab, I think my favorite part about working in a lab is talking to people while I'm working. I don't think my advisor will be happy to hear that. But (laughs) you know, sometimes depending on the nature of your work, right, it can get pretty monotonous. So for me, I love it when I'm doing something repetitive, and I'm just chatting with people who walk by or my other lab mates or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, because lab work is repetitive, sometimes it is nice in a sense that it's kind of meditative. You're doing the same thing over and over again, and yeah. um, it's it's kind of like you're not really thinking. You're in a zone.
0: Yeah, you zone out.
1: Right, you zone out. So you know, it's it's a it can be a good or bad thing. I think it just depends on your mood on that day.
0: Don't zone zone out too much when you're pet- petting. It could be detrimental. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. <laughs> Still pay oh, right. some it it attention. can be
0: really detrimental if you just forget about what you're pipetting.
1: It's like, oh, did I pipet yeah. twice into this vial? You,
0: you you ha you kinda have to like adjust your eye level and see how the liquid levels uh, agree with the other tubes that you did You actually double right, pipette. Check
1: <laughs> if you double pipetted.
0: Very, very interesting. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah.
1: that's that's lab. Yeah. I know. I, I I'm I'm curious. I think some listeners might actually have had a lot of lab experience. That so this might be something that's super familiar with them but we might also have listeners who are maybe not yeah. that familiar. So hopefully this is a little bit enlightening mm-hmm. to kind of shine a light on what we do as food science grad students in a lab. You, you, you,
0: this is the action part. We could also maybe in a future episode talk about the actual content of our research. And that that would probably, provide probably more content.
1: Right, right. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in food science, it's such a broad field. You know, we work, Ben and I actually work in very similar areas, we work a spectroscopy Yay. Um, a, <laughs> and we also do <laughs> chemometric modeling, which is completely a coincidence. I don't think we were expecting to get into these fields, Heck no. Um, but we did. <laughs> it's kind of niche. I don't really know any other friends who are doing this. So, but, you know, speaking of food science, like we said, it's a broad field. There are people who work with food engineering. There are people who work with, you know, emulsions or thermodynamics or processing and whatnot. So I think it'll be really cool for our listeners to know about what different arenas of research there are. Mm-hmm. Even undergraduate students in food science, you know, who, told, uh, who tell me they want to apply to grad school, they're often at a loss because there's so many options. For sure. So I think this might be something that's helpful for them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And well, we got a lot of episodes to go.
1: Yeah. We got a lot of time.
0: Right. So I guess this is it.
1: This is how we de-dress from lab work. We talk about <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's it.
1: Thank you for listening all the way till the end if you did.